Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Good Monday morning. Sometimes when questions come in, I shove them to the side, put them on a list because the answer won't take us an entire Monday morning message. But I looked over and saw we have quite a pile of them. So why don't we answer some of those starting now? The first one was, was Jesus a murderer? Hang on, it was an honest question. It was a good question. Here's why it's a good question. The writer said, the Bible said, he who had no sin became sin for us. And that all the sins, and he, that he or she had heard the sermons over the years, that all of the sins, past, present, and future of all mankind, were poured into Christ on that day. And some of those sins include murder. And we could do the long list here, but we're just going to let murder be the stand-in for all of the horrible sins, plus all of our sins we think aren't quite so bad. Did Jesus then become all of these? In other words, was he guilty of it? Did he? You get the point. The answer is no. Uh, we have done some things with the crucifixion of Christ, which just have no warrant in Scripture. For example, when I was a boy uh, in a church that didn't call itself Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish, it, would, it considered itself an independent church, we did what most Protestants do when they take the Lord's Supper, Communion, Eucharist, whatever name you put to it. We would say that you were to focus your mind now on the crucifixion of Christ. And we would read, you know, do this in remembrance of me. And very, very often there was a table up front that said, carved in there, do this in remembrance of me. Well, we've really missed the point here. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he didn't say in remembrance of the way I died. Not even of why I died but of the whole, the gestalt, me. Now, when I die, because it's the path of all humans, I hope that you remember me. But I don't want you to be sitting around thinking, oh, do you remember how he died? What a horrible thing that was. No, no, I want you to think of the good things. I want you to, if you can find them, think about those good things. With Jesus, it's easy to find. So why did Jesus die? Well, there are actually quite a lot of answers to that one. And most of them are pretty good. He did die to forgive us of our sins, but he also died so that we could never look at God and say, you withheld something. You want to save us. And you say you want peace. And you say that you want us to live with you for eternity. But if you really loved us, you would do and fill in the blank. And all of us can do that. You would have made us healthier. You would have made my family better. You would have made me get a better job. You wouldn't let me have lost my job or whatever. We fill in a lot of blanks. But God's able to hold out and say, I gave you my son. And even after you dealt horrifically with him, I still forgave you and so did he. We have given you the best, the top, more than you could ever ask for. So, was it just to prove that? Well, no. You see, more than one thing can be true at once. 
But that's a major part of it. It's a huge part of it. And to reduce the crucifixion to substitutionary atonement. In other words, we were guilty, somebody had to die, so Jesus died. There's a, a whole lot of truth in that and a lot of scripture to back that up, but it's not the whole story. He died to prove that death no longer is a threat to us. Remember the resurrection? Pretty important to remember the resurrection. And he took on our sins and took it away. Do you remember even at his birth, you just a couple, uh, what, a month ago, we're celebrating his birth. God breaks in and does a unilateral declaration of peace, peace on earth. Now that didn't mean peace between us and God and us and our neighbor. It meant peace between God and us. In other words, he said, hey, I'm declaring peace. You need to get on my side now and declare peace, to be peaceful, peacemakers, uh, to be representat uh, representatives of heaven here on earth. So he took away our sin, but he did not become guilty of any of our sin. Another question came up uh, that was fired off right after that. Did Jesus really die just for me? Well, no. He died for everybody. And, and I've heard it all my life that there was only one person on earth, only one person ever made, Jesus would have died for that person. And, you know, actually, I believe that's probably true. But I just cannot fathom a plan that God would have that would require just one person. So did Jesus die for Patrick? 100%, absolutely. Not only did he die for me, he overpaid for me. Our salvation is filled over, spilling over, tamped down. We are saved to the uttermost. But he also died for everybody else. His intention is that all are saved. He is not willing that any are not saved. So take very great comfort in knowing Jesus did die for you and forgiveness of sins and peace with God is there on offer for all of us. But you don't have to feel super guilty. You know, oh, I'm the one that put him on the cross. Eh, you're not that powerful. There were a whole lot of things put him on the cross and love had a great deal to do with it and proving the love of God had a great deal to do with it. But not just you. And then it could go the other way as well. You know, Jesus died for me and you will every now and then, not often, but every now and then run across somebody that, you know, will, I don't know, they get arrogant because they're Christian. Well, Jesus died for my sins and I am now saved and, and all true, but then they kind of elevate themselves above the rap, uh, you know, the uh, riffraff in the crowd kind of like the Pharisee did in that prayer, Lord, thank you that I'm not like these other people. So we, can't, we have to have humility, but we also have a surety. Jesus did die for us. Here's another question, completely different. Somebody asked, who was the angel of death? Well, we run across the angel of death whenever we take a look at the first Passover story in Exodus. Whenever uh, God had had enough, he had shot down all of their gods. You know, they worshiped the Nile, they turned it to blood. They worshiped the sun, he blotted it out. They worshiped cattle, don't ask. He gave them disease, on and on and on. And then finally, he went after the big one God that was kind of like a linchpin, um, the stone in the arch that holds it all together. Whenever he said, I'm going after the house of Pharaoh and the firstborn, the cult of the firstborn. 
So the Israelites were told to have a certain meal, kill a lamb in a certain way, and then to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils of their house. And if the angel of death, as he passed through, saw that blood, he would pass over them and leave them unharmed. And of course, the next day in Egypt, there was a great wailing and uh, painful loss. And I can't even imagine how horrific that would have been. And then God has broken the heart of Pharaoh temporarily, and Pharaoh lets them go temporarily. He tries to get them back. So who is the angel of death? We see him sometimes elsewhere as well. Here's the thing. Remember that word humility that I brought up a while ago? We need to remember that again. We do not know the organization of heaven. We know that God is sometimes called um, the Lord of hosts. We know that the Bible talks about the counsel of God. And if there are so many homonyms in English, it doesn't mean God counseling you, but rather like a council, a group of, of beings that he works with and they work with him. Obviously God is God above all, he created all things, but he's always worked in community. And so we know that there are cherubs and there are seraphs and there are angels. There's an archangel. In scripture, there's only one archangel. Does that mean there's only one archangel? No, it just means as far as we know. And that's what we have to say here. Is there an angel whose job it is to kill people? Maybe, but it would seem to be only in really special circumstances because we don't see him often and we see a whole lot of people live horrific lives in the, in the Bible as well as in our own lives that aren't struck down by the angel of death any more so than Mother Teresa, St. Francis, or you. So is there one angel responsible for all of our deaths? Ah, no, no, I just don't see anything that could back that up. Are there angels of punishment, or as one writer put it, law and order angels? You know, there seem to be. There seem to be. Maybe we can talk about that another time if you have further questions. But we can also call an angel the angel of death if they are given that assignment. In other words, that's not their title. That's not their job as a rule. But God has commissioned a great spiritual being, be it angel or one of the other, you know, the friends of God, the, the, um, the sons of God. There are so many names for beings that we don't really have a definition for. But if he were to give them this task, they would be the angel of death for this task. So it could be a temporary job assignment. It could be a job for a particular angel that needs to move in at particularly difficult, harsh times. But there is, when you see somebody die, that doesn't mean the angel of death has, has smote them with his staff or anything like that. It is, um, it is instead probably just death, which comes to us all. It is given to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And because God is God, we're not worried about that judgment, are we? Because we latch on to Christ and we try to be little outposts of heaven. Last question here so we can get in under the 15-minute mark. And that is, uh, what about incest? That was a really wide-open question. In the scripture, incest was not uh, forbidden by the code of the law, until you get to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And then they go very, very specifically on who cannot 
marry who? Now, the standard answer is, and I, I don't know the full answer, all right? The standard answer is that when God created mankind, he created us pristine and perfect genetically. I think there's probably good reason to believe that. Uh, I don't think he created us with faults in us. Uh, however he created us, we, uh, we're human beings and we're run by DNA. And we know that DNA does collect what we used to call garbage. But now we're finding out a lot of that garbage is actually still useful, but also some faults and some errors and genetic diseases are out there and genetic uh, predispositions are out there. Uh, we can also talk about epigenetics one day if you want to just be aware on the internet, 99% of what you see about epigenetics is either hopeful feeling or quackery. So, you know, be careful. What about why not the incest? Well, you know, most of us go, ooh, even with the thought of it. But if there is an, a, a small community that inbreeds for too long a time, genetic issues do arise and they are serious. And therefore, this small community, because that's what this was, these were tribes and they weren't always united. And so the tribes were in a pretty tight community. If you remember, Abraham and Sarah had to send to a far country basically to find a wife. And that was, when far country could have been, you know, I don't know, 20 miles away. That would have been a far country to another gene pool, although they knew nothing of genes. Because even back then, the law that they had been given by God said, no, you can't marry this close. And it was a protective law. Now, by the way, as we close this up, I need to really state I'm against incest in all of its forms. That said, we found in studying these closed groups, genetic defects are not nearly as common as we thought they would be, but they're still an issue. And so it's not like if you're adopted and you meet a, a beautiful woman or a beautiful man and you make a baby, you know, you're married, we're gonna do all this right and you make a beautiful baby, but then you find out that you didn't even know it, but your first cousins, uh, or maybe even brother or sister, these things have happened. Doesn't mean that your kids are gonna have six fingers and two noses. Generally speaking, it requires time and repeated intermarriage in a small group to develop these faults. But God was protecting his people, and I'll close with this. So he gave them very restrictive laws and complicated laws without explaining why. When we read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we know why. We can see this and go, oh, that protected the bodily integrity of the tribes. They didn't know that. They had to, as the old song says, trust and obey. Hope you enjoyed this rather odd collection of questions and we have more. So we may do more next week. God bless you for supporting us. I pray that you have a wonderful 2024 and that our safe harbor continues to grow. Share us, subscribe. There are people out there that need this. God bless. Cheers.